Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Enrico Bertini and I am a professor at NYU in New York where I do research in data visualization. And usually I do this with my partner in crime, Maurice Stefaner, who is an independent designer of data visualizations, but he's not with us today. I'm, I'm going to tell you why in a moment. And in this podcast, we talk about data visualization analysis and generally the role that data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest we invite on the show. But before we start, just a quick note. Our podcast is listener supported, so there's no ads. And if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us with recurring payments on patreon.com slash data stories or send us a time, a one-time donation on paypal.me slash data stories. So today we have one of those special episodes because we are actually recording live from the IEEE VIS conference. And uh, we do that virtually every year, except last year. So we are back to doing this live. And we have two great guests, as usual. We have two old friends of our podcast. We have Jessica Holman and Robert Kosara. Hi, Jessica and Robert. Hey. Hello. How are you? Good. Doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, we are almost at the end of the conference. We have only one more half day to go. So that's the almost the perfect timing for us. So maybe let's start by introducing yourself a little bit in case people don't know who you are. And then we can go through the highlights of the VIS conference. Sure. Hi, I'm Jessica Holman. I'm from Northwestern University. I recently moved there from uh, University of Washington, um, and I'm in CS and journalism there. I do data visualization research, um, often looking at how sort of the public interprets visualizations, often looking at topics like uncertainty visualization and how we reason with our prior knowledge as we look at visualizations. And I'm Robert Kosara. I am a research, research scientist at Tableau Software. Uh, I've been there for over six years now, and I've, this, this is my 18th VIS conference, so I'm kind of an old-timer here. Uh, and I, uh, I do research in visualization and uh, some of the perceptual basics of visualization, and also um, interested in general in presentation and storytelling and these kinds of topics. Yeah. I think, Robert, we have done this together for a while. I don't know if that's the A few fourth, times, yeah. Fourth time or so? Possible. And Jessica as well. Third that's time. Third time, right? Perfect. So we are in good hands. Okay, so as I said, we are at the VIS conference. This year is in Berlin. So it's uh, after four years again in Europe. And uh, I just want to briefly define the VIS conference for those of you who are listening and don't know what it is about. So that's the main academic conference in uh, visualization. It happens every year. And uh, it's normally in the US, but from time to time it's also in Europe. And this year it's in Berlin. And um, many people are happy about that. And every time is a different, different vibe. And um, the conference includes a lot of different kind of events. I would say the main tracks are paper presentations where people present the results of their research, but there is also panels, workshops, and a lot of other things going on. So today we're going to cover just a few bits of that. So each of us has been only in a very small proportion of these events. So I think it's important to say that 
this is just our highlights and uh, it's not necessarily representative of everything that happened here. And one thing that I want to say before we start that is often, often confusing is that the conference contains three main tracks, but nobody really cares about that anymore. <laughs> if you're curious, they are called InfoViz, Vast, and SciViz, but we're not going to talk about that too much. Yeah, so I think we're mainly going to cover um, events first, some of the events that happen here. And then we're going to go through some highlights in terms of technical work, new papers, new ideas, new methods, techniques, um, etc. Okay. So let's start with events. So one of the first events that happened at the conference is the Believe Workshop. This is a workshop that has been going on for many years. I am actually myself one of the original funders of the of the event, but I'm no longer taking care of it. But Robert has been there. <laughs> and uh, Robert, maybe you want to talk about Believe, what the, sure. the main highlights from the workshop and what it is about. I think I didn't say that. Yes, yeah, so Believe is, uh, I'm not going to try and explain the, the acronym because they now changed it also. But it was a very painful acronym, but it's, and Believe is spelled P-E-L-I-V. So it's a bit of a strange uh, acronym. But anyway, so the idea is that it's about new ways of doing evaluation and visualization. And uh, that has been very useful to also inspire new work in the main conference, I think. But this year was focused on replication. And so the idea was to get all these people together to talk about how, how it, we'd be able to do more around making it easier to, to replicate work, whether we need to do that and so on. And uh, I had a paper with Steve Harros where we talked about the, the, the all the ways basically you can do things wrong. So we looked at uh, all the other kinds of things that you can do wrong in study design, in data analysis and so on. And then we... we uh, uh, suggested some ways of doing it better, basically. And the Belief Conference this year was also an interesting setup where, the, where we had a handful of uh, paper presentations that were regular papers. And then uh, there was a panel where they had several of the people discuss their, their papers. And then the afternoon was breakout sessions where they started with uh, short talks where basically individual people were were, were were pitching their their topics and then they had these breakout groups talk, talk about those topics separately and that actually worked out quite well I think I was I was quite surprised by how well it worked yeah. because that's not not a very common thing to see here at this conference but I think we ended up with some good results there and then some some good discussions anything special there uh, well, lots of special individual <laughs> discussions, I guess. But uh, uh, we had some good discussions about what it means to replicate with qualitative studies. Oh. Uh, there were a few other things around um, a whole variety. I can't even remember all the <laughs> different discussions. Yeah, but the, the, yeah, I thought that that was very it was very engaging, and I felt it was actually a really good idea to do this. I I, I think that should be done more, especially for workshops. Yeah. I didn't know you had written a paper about how not to do experiments because I also wrote one this year. So we'll have to compare. We're both so judgmental. <laughs> always critiquing. So I'll have to read yours. For sure. Yes. And then I think there was this other event that is called Vision Practice that I really, really like because it promotes more integration between academia and practitioners, right? Researchers and practitioners. Mm, yeah. And it 
tries to bring more practitioners here to talk about their problems, what they're struggling with. And I think we, we need much, much more of this kind of interaction between practitioners yeah. and researchers. But I haven't been there. So. Yeah, so the, this was interesting this year because it, it was an actual track, which I don't think, or a, a, a sort of like a workshop yeah. on Monday. And I don't think that they had done this before, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But they brought in some really interesting people, and this was partly because they were local here in Berlin or, or close by. Right, yes. That's a perfect location for yeah. a database, right? right. And, and they also had people who were in town because of Information Plus, yes. which is another conference that happened essentially just before and annoyingly overlapped with, with the Sunday uh, with Biz. But um, so they had people like Lisa Charlotte Rose to speak about uh, tools, and there was. Um, um, yeah, not Martin, but Lumbrex is right. I, I, I keep thinking of his Twitter handles. <laughs> Can't remember his actual name. Um, and uh, and a few other people that, that that gave talks that were really interesting and that were quite unusual for for the Viz conference. And so that 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 was really good. And they had a little bit of a discussion after the 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 the, the part about tools that um, that Lisa and and somebody else had done. And um, so it was it was a good discussion. And it, it, I think it, it really brought very different people to the conference that wouldn't otherwise come to Viz. I've also heard there was a mini symposium on uncertainty visualization. Um, some of my students were at, which I heard good things about. I think that oh, yeah, I, I missed that part. Yeah, yeah. An important topic where a lot of what we do in Viz is maybe not accessible to people who are actually trying mm -hmm. to create visualizations. It's, so I've heard good things about kind of the, the talks that went on there and demonstrations of mm -hmm. how to make mm -hmm. different visualizations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was the, panel organized by Robert called Meet the Founders, which I really, really enjoyed. That, that was <laughs> the, the, the full, the, the room was, was full. Yeah. And, um, yeah, maybe you, you want to talk okay, about sure. it. So this was a panel that I organized that's called Meet the Founders. And the idea was to, to show people here at this academic conference, what it means to start a business. Yeah. And we have a number of businesses, a small number of businesses that have come out of this of this community and so one of them is Tableau and I wasn't able to get a Tableau founder here but <laughs> I ended up playing that role a little bit and then there was uh, uh, Lisa Avila from uh, Kitware and uh, Jeff Hare of Trifacta and Anders Inneman of uh, a company called SCISS S-C-I-S-S mm -hmm. that does a lot of uh, work around um, planetariums and and um, exploring uh, yeah. virtually exploring space and uh, we were in this room that was kind of away from everything else yeah. and I was really worried that people wouldn't even find it uh, but it was yeah it was almost full it was yes. it was quite quite nice and, and we just basically talked about what does it take to start a business what are common pitfalls what did you learn what went, what went well what went not so well yeah. and we got lots of good questions uh, including from Enrico so that's, that was interesting <laughs> right? yeah it was, I was fascinated well why not yeah. <laughs> if I want to ruin my life <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we all have that urge. I had a few discussions with a friend in New York and was like, oh, that's all great, but you're going to ruin your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think, again, that's another one of those things that shows maybe that this that the conference is opening up to many other things. It's not just academia researchers and papers, and that's uh, something that I really, really enjoy. I hope this is a trend that is going to develop even further in the future. And then we had uh, another event that you organized, Robert. <laughs> you do too many things. Viscom, uh, totally. you want to briefly talk about that? Yes, yeah, so this is a, 
Another thing that had a lot more attendance than I expected. <laughs> this is the the, uh, the first workshop on visualization for communication, communication yeah. that I organized together with Ben Watson. And uh, we we didn't get a lot of uh, submissions for the workshop. And so I was quite worried that we only would have like the handful of, of presenters there and mm -hmm, nobody else. Mm -hmm. But we actually had a really good turnout. And uh, I think we had, supposedly we had about 70 people there. At some point, I only counted 40, but somewhere in that number, so 50 or 60 people perhaps in that range. Uh, that was pretty good for for a first time workshop. Uh, and but the idea was to talk about what it means to do visualization for communication. Yeah. And we had a variety of papers and posters on on the topic, and uh, it was a good Are discussion. They online. Uh, yes, there it's so all viscom.io. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, you can see everything. Everything's up there. All the all the papers okay. and posters. We had uh, some nice presentations and some good discussions there. And I think we're going to do it again next year and hopefully get a few more <laughs> submissions. But it, it turned out really well, so I'm, I'm quite happy with it. Great. So I think now we can switch to papers, the technical program. There are lots of interesting things. I don't know how much we can cover, but let's start. I think the, the, the highlight of the conference has been for sure Draco. And they also won a best paper award, right? Jessica, you want to talk about it? Yeah, I can give just a short summary. Um, so Draco is basically a project that's looking at how we can take visualization design knowledge and express it using, um, like constraint programming. So express it in terms of hard and soft constraints. Um, for what a visualization, sort of what criteria visualization should fulfill to be effective or um, to be good at presenting the data. And so uh, I believe they used answer set programming to encode constraints um, uh, and apply them to visualizations. Um, I think I would read the paper for the details. <laughs> um, I haven't read it in a while, but I think what's really exciting about the work is just this um, set of possibilities it opens up if we start encoding visualization design knowledge in a more formal framework. Um, it's There's a lot we can do to begin to do things like try to model trade-offs between different types of design guidelines um, where uh, if you change one thing, you're making the visualization worse in one way, but if you change it a different way, other problems pop up. And so um, I'm excited about the sort of idea of formally modeling design knowledge and how it might help us identify sort of what we don't know. Um, I think there's lots of applications of this kind sure, of work. Sure. I'm wondering if this can be seen as sort of like um, extension of what Tableau does, for instance, right? And all the previous research work that was applied to that. Yeah, right. I think, um, the idea of having sort of good good defaults for, for the decisions right, that exactly, you make. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it too. I think um, they've been looking at like single visualization guidelines, and that's what Tableau does. And yeah. so Draco, one of the things it does, or one of the sets of applications, is um, I think we could use it to do to model an effective single visualization, but also an effective set of views. Mm. So one of my students has been working um, for the last couple of years on. Uh, how do you encode knowledge about um, multiple views? Like, what are design guidelines for that? Where we were thinking about constraint-based stuff, but Draco sort of um, provides a, a kind of solution in terms of a formal framework where we could actually begin to model how these things compete. So I think, yeah, there's so many applications of this kind of thing. Yeah, I guess we're going to see a lot of follow-up work from, from this Probably. One. We'll probably see a lot of Draco in future biz papers <laughs> by everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I think another um, great piece of work presented was LitViz, yeah. 
Definitely. I think this was Joe Wood, and I, I guess he presented this work also at OpenViz. Okay, I didn't see it at OpenViz. I Open think Viz. so. This was the first I'd seen of it, and it's really cool. Um, so it's kind of a notebook-based uh, uh, authoring system, So, um, but with a kind of a really nice, um, I guess, set of design objectives where um, they want to encourage design exposition. So I think it was based on Donald Knuth's literate programming where you want people to sort of be moving back and forth between writing code, but also explaining that code so that others can understand it, um, so that they're capturing process. And so LitViz is a, an editor using Elm and I think Vega, um, but it supports these different almost narrative structures to um, encourage different types of design exposition. So explaining your code in various ways it also supports branching, so you can sort of record, um, you know, how you created a set of visualizations using one encoding. You decided you didn't really like any of them, so you, you win another way with your design. And often, this kind of information gets lost, and it's certainly not well structured. Um, and a lot of the notebooks that we're using kind of encourage adding com comments and things, but it's um, it's not always what people are doing. And so LitViz is kind of a, a system to better support that. Yeah. And yeah, just the the talk was great. Um, Joe Wood talked about various applications, both like sort of at a more formal level, um, but also things like feminist data visualization <laughs> and how you could actually create narrative prompts um, that get the designer to sort of um, systematically think through yes. these kind of um, aspects of feminist data viz. So yeah. it was a really cool. Yeah, I really like that part where basically the tool itself asks questions to the right, designer, exactly. right? Yeah. So that the designer is going to reflect on some of the decision in a very yeah. natural way. Yeah, yeah, in a way that I think would encourage people to write yeah. about. What and also doing. documenting the design process, right? Exactly. You start from yeah. something, you make it better, yeah. then you, you go through three or four steps, but then you want to reflect on what you did. Exactly, yeah. Right? Yeah, I think we'll see more work like this. Yeah, I yeah, I think that was future. great. Yeah. I think another big trend in the conference has been anything related to machine learning and explainable AI. And uh, we had a few different uh, sec sessions. Well, I think one was actually called explainable AI or explainable machine learning, something like that. Mm -hmm. There were quite a good number of papers there. Maybe we can cover something. So sure. I think one of the highlight was sec to sec viz. Yeah, so uh, I think they won an honorable yeah, mention. Did. Yeah, right. um, Hendrik Strobel presented this, um, and it was kind of a visual debugging tool for, mm -hmm. uh, in this case, sequence-to-sequence -sequence models. But I think there were multiple things that I saw this year that were sort of along the same vein. So this was a particularly nice system that's um, trying to surface information to help diagnose errors in these like deep learning type models, um, where they had sort of a clever way of um, allow like exposing. Um, how models are doing things like over relying on certain inputs that are put in and helping people basically find errors. Um, and then also in that session, there was another paper that was kind of um, trying to look at ways that you could visualize um, model predictions and how they were wrong or uh, for a variety of different uh, problems like classification and I forget what else they looked at. But I think the overall trend that I was impressed with this year is that people have been doing this kind of explainable ML a bit in Viz, but I was seeing more uh, examples this year where people were actually trying to figure out methods that kind of generalize across yeah. different models. And I think both of these in that session were an example. Um, There's also some work, uh, one paper, for instance, called Dim Reader about axis lines that explain nonlinear non projections 
was another one where I think there were actually multiple papers like this. The dim reader one was particularly nice, but where they're um, using like 2D visualizations, um, in this case for TSNE, where uh, the visualization can sort of use um, just spatial position and almost like a creaking style encoding, if you know what that is, um, so that people could look at how changing inputs to a model also uh, changes the output. So mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. kind of like basic use of visualization or thinking about the sort of core visualization methods we can use to allow people to reason about how models are working. Um, so I, I liked the general generality. Yeah. And then you had a paper as well. In yeah. <laughs> yeah. I usually don't talk too much about my work on yeah. the podcast. And yet every time on a, I'm on one, we talk about your work. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm really excited about the work we presented there. Uh, again, it's an, another gen very generalizable method to look inside um, black boxes. Uh, in this case, classifiers. And, uh, yes, we came up with a, with a method that basically extract rules out of existing classifiers and you don't need to get access to the classifier except for being able to input. Yeah. So how did you extract them? That was, I missed the very first part. <laughs> yeah. Chapter. It's very simple, actually. So you train another model using the output of the original model, the labels of the out, the output of the original model is labels rather mm -hmm. than the, the data, right? Oh, and yeah. uh, so you basically simulate the original model mm -hmm. and, and you can apply this to many, many different models. And then we have a simple visualization system that visualizes the rules. Mm -hmm. So what has been interesting here is also how do you visualize a rule, mm -hmm. right? So it's a yeah. complex object and yeah. I don't pretend I don't think we have necessarily found the, the best visual representation, but I think it's an interesting challenge. There. Yeah, no, I think it made sense, the rules, what you did. I think one thing that I've seen is that some of these systems are becoming somewhat simpler to digest visually. It's not this crazy, super fancy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I think we are trying to do simpler things right. that are more exactly. useful. And I love that. I hope this is, yeah. is going to be a trend because sometimes things tend published here tend to be a little bit too complex for at least for my taste. Agreed. Okay. Robert, you want to talk about some papers? Some of the, the interesting ones I've seen here is, uh, so one is uh, called uh, Charticulator, yeah. which is a little bit painful to pronounce, but it's a really interesting system um, that uh, lets you build visualizations that are a bit unusual or the way you build the, the visualizations, I should say, is unusual in that you map the fields to aspects of something like a bar or I guess a rectangle or things like that. And uh, it's interesting because it's, it's, it, it, it makes it possible to build more things that are more like uh, a lot of the kinds of, of, of news graphics that people build in, but in, in more that, that are usually done in like Illustrator and, and things like that. And there's also, and there's a similar paper that's called Data Illustrator that was, that was presented at Kai earlier this year. And it's also interesting to, to kind of compare it to Draco because these, both of these, so Articulator and Data Illustrator and Draco are new ways of specifying visualizations, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which we haven't really seen in a while. I yes, think people haven't really done that true. for a while. That's true. So I think we're now starting to think about how we can do that differently and maybe there are better or at least different ways and new ways to do this. And we, we're going to see how that compares to how we specify visualizations today and how we, and, and I'm guessing there will be a certain flow of ideas into, into tools and into libraries that way. Yeah. 
Yeah, I also was just going to say I noticed a lot of focus on grammars this year. Yeah. Mm. A lot of use of like Vega, Vega Light. Yes. But also just a lot of papers where there was a grammar that was kind of the contribution. Mm. Theory is coming back. Theory is coming back. <laughs> yes. Waves. Yeah. Well, then another one that I thought was really interesting is uh, is has uh, <laughs> been called the uh, dashboard, dashboard conspiracy. <laughs> this is a, an interesting project also because it's between. I'm not gonna uh, know, remember all the companies, but it's it's between Tableau, Microsoft Research, mm-hmm. Simon Fraser University, uh, and and so at least at least three companies here working together, uh, and at least two of them being competitors. So this was pretty interesting how they set <laughs> this up. But the, uh, the the main point of this paper, so that's why it's called the dashboard conspiracy, is to essentially argue that dashboards are a separate thing from just a collection of visualizations. Yeah. So dashboards in this sense, and there is, you can argue and probably have a little uh, religious fight over this too, but the dashboards are collections of visualizations where there are, there's connections between the different different views. So you can select some in one view and that that, that highlights or filters another view uh, and, and maybe the data is changes over time and stuff like that. But what they were talking about is not not just that uh, those, those those things we kind of know about dashboards, but that that mostly get ignored by visualization research yes. these days because there's this talk about coordinated multiple views, but that's really not something that actually gets a lot of attention. But there's also something about how like how the whole thing works. Like the whole thing can be an explanation of something, or the whole thing can be an, an overview tool over, yeah. over data that can have layers. And uh, it's really interesting what they, what they found. And 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 I, I thought this was a really good good uh, paper and good talk yeah. that, that really brought dashboards back as I think uh, a topic of course Jessica did some work on this last year mm-hmm. but yes. uh, I think this is really a good trend yeah. that people are starting to pay more right. attention to them now yeah no I felt like there was definitely like what we did was I guess also describing just how people think about multiple views and relations between them but I think this kind of like almost theoretical stuff is laying a nice foundation for better tools for dashboards for instance so in the study, the dashboard study, what did they actually, did they actually look at a bunch of dashboards? Was that yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 They have a corpus that's, that, that they got from Tableau Public and the Power BI gallery, I don't know what it's called, and, and one or two other places. I like that they also brought in, I think, literature from other fields to yeah. talk about. Oh, like, yeah. There's actually right. people yeah. publishing not in biz on dashboards. You mean yeah. literature from the business community? Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I guess business intelligence. Business intelligence stuff. community. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was happy to to see this happening because dashboards are definitely a thing, right? I mean, normal people who are not visualization experts um, recognize this word and think about these flashy sets of visualizations as, as dashboards. Well, and and the things that aren't actually flashy at all, but are really not useful. All of, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there are some really so good there ones are, out, there, out there, there, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. And I think the biz community has been a little snobbish there, right? Yeah, it's totally. like, oh, dashboard, I, I don't care about <laughs> yeah. What is that thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I really liked how they showed examples of sort of a dashboard really like summarizing a lot of data really well yeah. in a way that like no other genre probably can do um, so it was nice they dispelled that hatred for dashboards <laughs> yeah, I think that the general conversation about visualization 
not only in the research community, but in general, it's always about a single plot, right? Right, totally. But there is so much out there about how do you arrange multiple plots, and mm -hmm. uh, there is a whole science to build on that. I know that the two of you have been working on that, right? <laughs> okay. Oh, and then the last one, I guess, that I, I wanted to talk about is, is a paper that was presented just, just today that is called Face-to-Face. -face. It's about <laughs> comparing values uh, using uh, bar charts and how, and how that can be done differently with different layouts and different different arrangements of those charts. And I thought that was a really interesting paper, partly because they, they looked at something that, that's kind of... I think it's been studied before. I don't know if, if, if this is really all that new, but they found some interesting new things. And so one of the things that they found, which was a, a nice kind of uh, rebuttal to some of the discussion earlier, is that the that animation can actually work quite well when, you, when you're looking for the rate, the, uh, the amount of change. So you're looking for the thing to change the most. You can see that when you do animation between different charts. Hmm. And so that, that was interesting. It was also a very well-presented paper. I thought that was very, very nicely done. And all that data, I think, is, is available online. So you can you can look at there as well. Which reminds me, I think maybe another trend this year is a lot of vision and mm -hmm. visualization. Yeah, more vision right? science. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. More vision science. Uh, work presentations and people, right? There are more yeah. people who are doing whose main work is to bridge vision science yeah. and visualization. And then there's ML plus vision, <laughs> someone trained a convolutional yeah. neural net to yeah. do graphical perception. So yeah. it's um, colliding. Yeah. It's yeah, interesting mix. And Jessica, you had another one? Yeah, so um, there's a whole session on uncertainty and error this year. Unfortunately, it's on Friday morning. Um, and <laughs> unfortunately, both of my papers are in it. But there is one paper that I'm really excited about in there besides my own, um, which is Nina McCurdy, Mariah Meyer, and another collaborator mm -hmm. did a framework for externalizing implicit error using visualizations. And what they did, I think, was work with a bunch of Zika experts to understand how they're taking data on things like outbreaks and um, trying to sort of figure out what's actually happening with the disease. And what they do in the paper is kind of um, define this notion of implicit error, which is kind of like the the error that's not recorded in the data or the context that's not recorded in the data, but which the experts are very aware of, like this country doesn't always report accurately. And so the experts were almost adjusting the data in their head. Mm -hmm. um, and they talk about how this isn't really supported right now. Um, and so I think... You know, it's a sort of an applied case to Zika experts, um, and they build a system actually to make it easier to sort of note where there are these discrepancies between what the expert knows and what the data says. Um, but I think uh, the general idea is really important for Viz. It aligns with other work I've been doing with trying to look at sort of not just the data and a visualization, but how it interacts with our prior knowledge. And so I really like the way they they define this implicit error notion, and I hope we see more of it. Um, because I think it is like we are often looking at data, but adjusting it based on what we think. Um, yeah. And we often ignore that when we model visualization yeah. interpretation. Yeah. And uncertainty visualization is another one of those areas where yeah, we are seeing more and more yeah. work done. Yeah. And, and it's and definitely it's relevant, important. right? Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> I, I don't need to convince you. We should do a whole episode on that, by right, the way, right? right? On uncertainty is, is, is big. And yeah, I personally just wanted to highlight a couple of crazy things. Uh, so first of all, um, I think we have seen this year a lot more um, VR, AR stuff. I've never seen anything like that at this, and it's like coming little by little. I think there was a whole 
a whole session on immersive analytics, and we have seen a few a few crazy things there. I really liked one presentation of this tool called Fiber Clay, and um, yeah, Christoph, the the author and presenter, gave a basically instead of giving a proper, uh, I shouldn't say proper, <laughs> a regular talk, he he actually gave a full demo wearing the goggles and these two, how do you call it, the um, handles, right? And uh, and it was this, so he was visualizing um, uh, flight trajectories, and he was so fast and quick and accurate in pointing towards certain trajectories and filtering out those that were not interesting, and very, very quickly narrowed down to what was interesting patterns there, and he was so good at doing that. And uh, I think it was an, an amazing demo, an amazing talk. And actually, right after the talk, I went out and I was like, I, I want to try it. <laughs> how, do, how do you do that? And I have to say it's not that hard, and I was surprised. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what kind of practical applications you may have there, but it's it's something, right? And I think yeah. we should explore crazy things out there, yeah. right? Well, you said flight paths. That seems useful. <laughs> yeah, right? I don't, I don't think it's more useful than a plane... Right to the visualization, but I don't. I, I first of all, I may be wrong, right? Yeah. And I think we do need to explore uh, yeah, the edges. And I think we have a tra- tradition here for bashing against three D, anything three D, right? But three D is not necessarily bad. I, maybe Robert doesn't yeah, agree. Robert, He's looking at me with like. Oh, no. <laughs> questioning our maximums in visualization, so Robert yeah. maybe knows how little evidence there is on three yeah. D. <laughs> I think there's actually a lot, but. Yeah. And then there was something even crazier, right? I would say much crazier. So there was this presentation on information olfactation. <laughs> and it was amazing, right? So they built this device that is supposed to be um, used when you are um, using these immersive analytics um, systems that basically introduces also olfaction as an additional um, additional channel for encoding information. And they build this, they have this custom build, uh, machine that, um, yeah, creates different types of, of, um, sense, right? And I think what is really interesting is that they have been trying to systematically explore the design space and trying to basically do what Bertan did for graphical encoding for olfaction, right? And it's fascinating. Again, I don't know. I mean, is it is it gonna be I don't know a revolution of our of our um, domain? I don't think so. But I think it's good to explore explore the boundaries. And I'm really happy to see to see these things happening um, at this. Yeah, I think these are our main highlights. Maybe we can conclude by um, briefly talking about. Um, some some other major trends, or I think Robert, you wanted to talk about the graph, graphic recorder that we had. Sure, this year. yeah. So there was there was somebody at at the uh, vision practice session and the keynote, and I'm not sure if maybe one or two other sessions, and and who who's a graphic recorder means meaning he does live sketching of the talks, and it's it's amazing to watch that because he's able to just on the fly do this really elaborate, really cool drawing. That somehow fits exactly this into the space that, that he has there, and it looks really good. And it, and uh, you have to have seen the talk. You can't just 
look at it and, and understand it. But but it's a really good reminder of what happened, and it's all very beautifully done. So I thought that was really cool, and it's the first time at Viz from what I'm yeah. I can remember. Yeah, I think we should keep doing that. It's uh, it's great, and I think maybe we should conclude by saying that. The whole this conference is going through some restructuring. There's been a lot of interesting um, talks about that. And I think we had also a whole event. I'm not going in detail about that. But I think one interesting thing is that one thing that has been discussed a lot is how to make uh, everything easier to access, right? Having more open access solutions, which is not easy. But it's it's nice that we are having this kind of discussion, right? Yeah, and people of multiple sort of levels with early career and then the more senior people yeah. on the steering committee seem to be kind of trying to get on the same page about these things, which I think is also nice. It's really pulling in the whole community. Yeah, it should be easier to, to find our research and uh, access it without having to pay tons of money, right? <laughs> Okay, I think we can conclude here. Thanks so much for uh, agreeing on being on the show again. Thank you. And that's very much appreciated. And uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll see you again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hey folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded. So you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash data stories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash data stories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash data stories podcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer. So one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for to hear from you. So see you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.